Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Micah Van Hus will reveal what really happened at the Tower of Babel. And author Corby Shuey is back with more insight and encouragement on how you and I can defend the faith. Each year, Southwest Radio Ministries creates a unique calendar from differing parts of the world, filled with scripture, comfort, and inspiration from God's Word. We're privileged to put these together for you and know you are then armed with His truth for the year to come. This year's calendar theme is Unseen Israel. This 16-month calendar features beautiful photographs that reveal sites that are not often visited by tour groups or focus on views that are not often seen in pamphlets or pointed out by tour guides. These locations are important in understanding the history and culture of ancient Israel. Order your Unseen Israel calendar today. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order at our website, swrc.com. We also partner with each of you who purchase a calendar to encourage prisoners in our Onesimus prison ministry. For every calendar you order, a calendar will be given to a prisoner free of charge. Order your calendar and encourage a prisoner. Calendars are ready to ship today, so order yours while supplies last. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Friends, we live in trying times, don't we? As we survey the landscape of our world, we can feel a sense of foreboding, writhing within the depths of the heart creating a wake of fear, dread, dismay, anxiety, and hopelessness in the waves of our consciousness. But those who know Jesus as Savior can stand in His authority to push back the tide of fear. We can stand for valor. Here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, with today's guest to help us stand. Pastor Corby Shuey is on our show once again. In our previous program, we were visiting with Pastor Corby and talking about his new book, For Valor. You know, friends, fear is a tool that drives us into a condition of spiritual paralysis. It's known as cowardice. No one likes a coward, but so many are overwhelmed by fear. The Bible makes it clear that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Pastor Corby, it's so nice to uh, visit with you once again. It's great to be with you as well, Pastor Larry, and I'm honored and privileged to be able to take the time to speak with you. I know you love Isaiah 41.10, and I want to I quote it because I think it's so key to what uh, you're writing about. It says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Well, that was true in Isaiah's day, and it is true today. So, on that Amen. note, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think our society is becoming more chaotic. There is an increasing uh, degree of chaos. It is very unsettling to many people. So as we get into the, the show, this show, describe progressive regressionism in the voice of chaos. And you've got some excellent material on that. Right. I, I do speak to this topic uh, throughout the course of the book. I, I use chaos and I use the voice of chaos as a metaphor to expose the, the direction of the devil that, the, the purpose of the devil, the deceptions and the, and the lies that he's speaking over us to cause us to progressively re- regress. And I use that term, that, that phrase, to talk about 
how the voice of chaos entices us to regress towards sin. When we, unfortunately, we're going to be tempted in this life, and if we ever allow ourselves to fall into temptation and to sin, oftentimes the devil, this voice of chaos, entices us to engage in that sin. And as we engage in that sin, there's never going to be enough. Uh, Sin doesn't want to just to allow us to just ingest it once and be done with it. Sin wants to consume us. Sin wants to, to completely control us. And as we submit to the voice of chaos over submission to the voice of God, this progressive regressionism, this, this regression toward more and more deeper and deeper sin will get progressively worse. So even though those two terms seem contradictory, progressive and then regression, when we regress towards sin, it will become progressively more violent. It will lead to progressively more chaos in our own lives. Right. Well, that's very true. And I think as I look at, uh, for example, Klaus Schwab and the WEF, the World Economic Forum, what I really see the globalists trying to do, they are trying to remove every vestige of morality from us. So we have no character. We, we are not able to resist. We're wimps. We're crippled. We're paralyzed. We're, we're cowards. You're right. You know, the, the founding fathers uh, said it's impossible. It's impossible to rule a democracy unless people are virtuous. And I think that's so important. You know, our Constitution and all our founding fathers required virtue. So what are these guys trying to do? Like you're talking about, they're trying to get us to regress into a sinful condition when we have no morality, we don't love our wives, we don't love our husbands, we don't love our kids, we don't love our church, we don't love anything. We have no morality, we have no virtue. And in that condition, we are ready. We are ready for the spirit of the Antichrist and even for the Antichrist himself. And I think that is terrible. I think that's exactly what you're talking about. But, um, you know, sometimes the lies. The deception seems unstoppable. It's like a growing tidal wave. So what hope do we have as people of faith against the onslaught of deception? Well, really, this question addresses the heart of the book, and it addresses the purpose of why I wrote this book. When we look at the world around us, it is chaotic, and it does feel overwhelming. And if we focus on how overwhelming or how difficult it may seem, it can feel as if we are going to be, like you said, Pastor Larry, over, overrun by a tidal wave of, of all these things that are coming against us. But I address this, and I, and I address the encouragement that God gives us in, in, the, in the book through the uh, Matthew chapter 8. And in that chapter, Jesus is, is with the disciples, and they're on the Galilee. And Jesus is, is asleep in the boat, and, and, the, and there's this great storm that rises up, and there's waves that are, that are seemingly going to overrun the boat and, over, and, and overturn the boat. And and there are these clouds and this storm that is overwhelming. And the disciples look at the storm, they look at the clouds, they look at the things that are coming against them, look at the waves that are battering the ship, and they feared the chaos. Right. They feared the chaos. They were afraid of the chaos. They were afraid of these things that were taking shape in front of them because they thought those things were going to overpower them. They thought those things that were going to overcome them. They were afraid of, they were afraid of the chaos. And then we know when Jesus came on the scene that he rebuked the storm. Right. He rebuked the storm, and that storm was ended, brothers and sisters. Jesus is the end of chaos. Jesus is the end of chaos, and, and we have the choice. We, we have the opportunity in faith. 
those who are under the authority of Jesus Christ, those who trust in his name, those who trust in the name of Jesus as the end of chaos, we can choose to focus on him. Amen. And we can choose to focus on his power, on his authority, on his protection, on the fact that he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We can focus on that and we can find hope or we can focus on the other thing. We can focus on chaos. We can focus on deception and all these things that the devil is trying to do in our culture and we can allow that to get us overwhelmed and we can allow that to discourage us but i would encourage the listeners and i would and encourage those who who have the the opportunity to read my book to to focus on your savior focus on jesus because he has overcome the victory is won and we can declare his name in all of the chaos that the devil is trying to bring about in our lives we can declare his name because his Amen. name is the end of chaos. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You're so, right. Amen to that. Well, the next question has two parts. First of all, where does revival start? And then secondly, describe your thoughts regarding, quote, when revival comes, comes responsibility. What's our responsibility in revival? You know, we pray for revival, we hope for revival, but it has a responsibility upon us, and I think that's very important. So tell us, where does revival start, and then tell us about when it does come. What's our responsibility? Well, I think to to start answering that question, I I think we can clearly see that there are many, and and we're all probably guilty of this to a degree, but there are many who who chase after church events or or chase, chase after revivals or 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 these places where revival is said to take place. We're chasing after them in the hope that we can find revival in that event, or in the hope that we can find revival in that church meeting. Now, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from engaging in their faith and going to church meetings and going to places of fellowship and studying the Word. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from that at all. But I think too often we place revival in the event, in the attendance of the event, or or, or what happened at that event, and we forget that revival starts in our hearts. Revival starts with us. Revival starts with a choice that we make to walk in revival. We don't have to go somewhere to find revival. We can ask the Lord, we can pray to the Lord, we can say, revive my heart this very moment and give me the power, give me the authority, give me the the, the encouragement that I need to walk in revival. So with revival comes a choice. With with revival comes responsibility on the part of, of us as believers, as people of faith, Revival comes with responsibility, as Paul tells us, to, 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 to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ came to this earth to walk among us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible tells us, while we were yet sinners, he came to us to be sin for us, to die on the cross for us, to be buried in the grave for us, to be raised again on the third day in his power and in his authority to give us an opportunity to be restored and reconciled and made right in the eyes of a holy God. He did that for us. So we have to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling. Brothers and sisters, the Bible calls us children of God. It calls us children. It it calls us chosen. Excuse me. It calls us chosen. It calls us holy. It calls us dearly loved. That is who we are. I don't care what anybody else says about us in the world around us. I don't care what the devil says about us. I don't care what the, the voice of chaos says about us. Brothers and sisters, in our faith, we are chosen. We are redeemed. And we have the choice to walk in revival every day. Matter of fact, we have the responsibility to do that so that we can be a witness and a testimony to others, to, to show them the glory of God in our lives, in, in those moments of joy and in all the, also those moments of, 
uh, of torment. We, we have the opportunity to show others how God is working and how God is with us in all instances of our life. Amen. Well, friends, I guarantee that Corby Shuey has written both a challenging and a hopeful book. We are offering our listeners for valor, defending the faith for those of worth. Our toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. Ask for the book, For Valor. Corby, many Christians struggle with a lot of things. I mean, the walk of faith can be a struggle. Uh, There's a lot of tension between what we see with sight and what we know to be true by faith. So, why do we often struggle so much with walking in boldness or in the authority of Jesus Christ? Why does that happen to so many of us? I think we, we alluded to it earlier in our discussion when I talked about the fact that so many of us are afraid of the chaos, and, and we take our eyes off of Jesus. We take our eyes off of walking with Him and following Him as He leads us, and we focus rather on the storm. We focus rather on the chaos in our lives. We focus rather on, on difficulty or strife or anxiety. Whatever the case may be, we take our eyes off of Jesus, who is the end of our chaos, who is the end of these difficulties, who is the hope that we can cling to, and we focus on the difficulty itself. And, and I would encourage listeners again to, to keep your eyes on Jesus, to, to, to submit to his leading, to submit to his authority, because he is the one that's going to continually lift us up. When we stumble, when we fall, when we feel as if we're not able to stand, call upon his name, because he will always reach out to lift you up. Amen. Amen. Corby, you write about Zechariah chapter 10. What is the commentary on weak shepherds and a wandering flock? Well, in, in Zechariah 10, God is very clearly speaking through the prophet Zechariah about how the people have been left to wander, to, 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 to be distracted, to, to drift away from, from God, to drift away from reverence, to drift away from seeking out God. And God very clearly, through Zechariah in this chapter, God very clearly, clearly directs the, the accusation toward the shepherds. God says that because there are weak shepherds, because there are weak shepherds, the flock has been left to wander. And that applies to us in our world today. You're probably most familiar with a flint and steel. It's, it's a way to start a fire. Uh, there's a, a, a flint. It's a, it's a type of rock that is very, very hard, and it retains its shape. It retains its edge, right. uh, even under lots of duress. And to start a fire, you take a steel and you strike it against a flint and Parts of the steel would flake off and they would ignite, they would, start, they would start a fire. In the Bible, Jesus tells us that when he recognized it was his time to return to Jerusalem, that it was his time to go into Jerusalem, those days leading up to the crucifixion, that the Bible tells us that he set his face to go to the city. He set his face like flint, yes. Isaiah says. He set his face like flint, and he knew that as he entered the city... It would lead to his, his uh, crucifixion. It would lead to these things that we read about leading up to the crucifixion, and yet he was determined to go into the city. He was determined to go into the city. He was determined to go to the cross. He was determined to suffer the scourging. He was determined to suffer the beatings and the ridicule. He was determined to suffer the betrayal of those he called friends. He was determined to, to undergo these things because he knew that as he underwent them, the sparks of the beatings, the sparks of the scourging, the sparks of the ridicule, uh, of the fact that his beard was pulled out, these sparks would ignite a fire in the hearts of those who call upon his name salvation. 
he, he was determined. That's one side of things. We must be determined as our Savior was determined to declare salvation, to declare deliverance, to declare the to repentance from sin. We, we must be determined, but we also must have the attitude that those things that are coming against us, we have to set our face like flint, just like our Savior, so that these things, as they batter us, they do not make us conform to their image, right. but we can use them to shed sparks of light, to shed sparks of hope to the world around us. So we essentially are the priesthood of Flint. We are those who are called mm, to, to stand right. as our Messiah stood, determined, setting our face like Flint, so that we can stand boldly for valor, for valor in defense of faith, in defense of truth, not only for myself. And this is something that is very convicting to me. My, my faith is not about me. I am saved. I've declared Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He is my Lord. I am saved. My faith is now about my children. My faith is now about those who I can pass on my faith. And that's the attitude that we have to have. We can't say, why well, I'm saved. I'm going to put my faith on a shelf. And I'm going to wait until God calls on me to use it. I need to walk in faith every day so that I can express that faith. As Jesus Christ did, setting his face like flint, bearing the penalty and the shame of the cross to deliver those who would call upon his name. Right. Well, amen to that. You know, a lot of us love the Psalms. I know we all do, and especially Psalm 2. As we close, we have a few minutes. What hope can we find in Psalm 2? Well, Psalm 2 starts out by, by, with God declaring that the kings of the earth, the kings of the earth are crying out to tear the fetters apart, to let go of these fetters, to, to get rid of these, these bonds that are declared to be from the Lord in an effort to, to oppress what the kings want to have happen on this earth. So, so God is calling upon these kings of the earth. He's saying the kings of the earth cry out to tear apart these fetters. But then it goes on to say in Psalm 2 that the Lord scoffs at them. The Lord scoffs at them. The Lord scoffs at their frail human efforts. The Lord scoffs at them because he has set his king on Mount Zion. He has set his king on the throne. And that's the hope that we can have in our day, that our Savior is on the throne, that our king has overcome, that he is sovereign. And we can call upon his name to stand under his authority, to declare his mercy, to declare his grace, and to, to declare his love in the hope of repentance for this age. That Amen. is the hope that we can have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, Corby, we are fighting the clock, and at this point, the clock wins. So thank you, oh, for, <laughs> thank you for your book, and thank you for these uh, two shows. Really appreciate uh, the shows that we've done. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Corby Shuey's brand new book, For Valor, is today's featured resource. For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth, serves as a clarion call for the church to stand in defense of faith. Order your copy of For Valor today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can visit our website and place your order there. Simply visit swrc.com. Where did secret societies originate? What does Nimrod have to do with modern-day secret societies? And what really happened at the Tower of Babel? From Marginal Mysteries, here's Micah Van Huss with the answers. Where did secret societies originate? What does Nimrod have to do with modern-day secret societies? What really happened at the Tower of Babel? 
From the very beginning, there has been a war in heaven unseen by the eyes of humankind. Across the ages, evil powers of the air have striven with the Creator over control of the nations. These powers manifested in our realm, causing the innocent to suffer. Throughout history, humankind has organized secret societies to aid or hinder the invisible rulers of the air. There are organizations attempting to direct the ebb and flow of humankind through various means, primarily governments. Though some of these groups have great influence over our politicians and, through them, our government, today they haven't yet succeeded in seizing full control. A 300-year-old Freemason document titled The Freemasons, an Hudiburistic poem by the dictator, partially reads, If history be no ancient fable, Freemasonry came from the Tower of Babel. When first that fabric was begun, the greatest underneath the sun, all nations thither did repair to build this great castle in the air. How did secret societies come to be? To answer the question, we need to go way back in history to a time when men's hearts were more innocent, time before the princes of the air suffered defeat at the hands of the son of the creator. We must go all the way back to Babylon. We read in Genesis chapter 10 verse 8, And Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Here in the ancient book of Genesis, we read about Nimrod, who built the first kingdoms after the great deluge of Noah. These kingdoms are known as Babylon. Masonic accounts record that Nimrod built pyramid-like ziggurats, solidifying his status as a master mason. These cities were the first to worship pagan gods. Out of Babylon would come false religion and sinful practices. Throughout Scripture, God judges Babylon and Assyria and uses them to judge the children of Israel for their disobedience. In Hebrew, the name Nimrod translates, we will rebel. Scripture tells us that Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Early Jewish writings tell us that he was a hunter of men. As Dr. Douglas Petrovich translates it, Nimrod was a slaughterer and a conqueror. Nimrod led his people, the descendants of Ham, in rebellion against God. In Genesis chapter 9, God commands mankind to spread throughout the earth. We read Genesis 9.1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Yet, in disobedience to God, Nimrod convinces the people to stay together and build a great city. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Verse 4, And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Verse 8, So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Nimrod's disobedience brings more sin into God's newly cleansed world. Interestingly, in his writings, Josephus, a first-century Jewish author and historian, records that the people were afraid to move out of the mountains and into the plains because they were more susceptible to the floodwaters that were still receding in those days. Josephus, with his ancient resources, authored Antiquities of the Jews, in which he wrote that Nimrod was a tyrant who persuaded his followers to rebel against God and trust in the strength of mankind. Some Freemasons will name Solomon as the first excellent Grand Master of the Masons. 
but founding documents tell otherwise. The Regis Manuscript is one of the oldest Masonic documents to be discovered. It was written around 1390 AD. It is an epic poem that sets out the basic tenets of masonry. In it, it names Nimrod as the first excellent Grand Master. Freemasonry compiled writings to create for themselves their version of God, the great architect of the universe. Now, if someone's going to make for themselves a god, there's all kinds of excellent choices uh, going back in history on which deity was the most powerful and worthy of following. Someone could choose Osiris, the Egyptian god of fertility. They could choose Horus, the Egyptian god of the underworld. Apollo was the Greek god of archery, music, prophecy, and healing in the sun. One could follow the two-thirds god Gilgamesh from the Mesopotamian epic. Mithra, Odin, Helios, and Baal are all prominent choices. But here's the twist. All of these gods are one in the same. Nimrod. When God strikes the people of Babylon with confusion of language and spreads them throughout the world, we find exactly what we expect to find. Seventy cultures all worshiping the same pagan god, but by different names. Thus begins the mystery religion of Babylon. Now how did Nimrod come by the knowledge to build his ziggurats and likely the Tower of Babel? According to the Greeks, Nimrod learned antediluvian knowledge from Enoch, the son of Cain. How did this science survive the Great Flood? Was it passed orally through Noah or Ham? Were there writings stowed on the ark? Did an artifact survive the flood? In Genesis 6 and in the book of Enoch, the watchers came to earth in the days of Jared, corrupted the human bloodline with the Nephilim, and taught forbidden knowledge to mankind. The Masonic document, The Legend of the Craft, recounts that the children of Lamech knew that God would destroy the earth, but wasn't sure if he would destroy it by fire or water. Genesis chapter 4 tells us part of the story. Verse 19, And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel, and he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. According to over a dozen ancient works, Lamech's sons, Jabal and Jubal, carved the forbidden knowledge of the watchers onto two stone pillars, one that would survive fire and one that would survive a flood. After the flood, the Greek god Hermes found one of the pillars and shared the knowledge with Nimrod. In multiple ancient Arabic works, these antediluvian pillars are one. It's called the Emerald Tablet. Did Nimrod, with the help of the Greek god Hermes, find antediluvian knowledge? Did he use this knowledge to build Babylon and the Tower of Babel? Did his immense power come from wearing the animal skins that God made for Adam and Eve in Eden? Was Nimrod the origin of the world's secret societies and mystery religions? Does Nimrod have a role to play during the Great Tribulation? Find out the answers to all these questions and many more in my upcoming book, Secret Societies, Blood Never Sleeps. Be sure to follow Marginal Mysteries on social media or visit MarginalMysteries.com. Again, that's MarginalMysteries.com. Corby Shuey's brand new book, For Valor, is our featured resource today. For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth, serves as a clarion call for the church to stand in defense of faith. Order your copy of For Valor when you call 1-800-652-1144. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. 
head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for now over 90 years by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.